Welcome, everybody, to the Flagstaff Mountain Film Festival podcast. I'm your host, Nick Irvin. Join me as we dig a bit deeper into the films and events of this year's 2020 festival. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us on this episode of the Flagstaff Mountain Film Festival podcast. Today, we talk with Michael Dillon and Joe McConaughey about their film, String Bean. This is the journey of Joe attempting a fastest known time of the Appalachian Trail unsupported. Now, if you haven't seen the film yet and want to before we talk about it, which you probably do, I've got a link in the show notes to their Vimeo page that has the full documentary. It's about 14 minutes long. While you're there, you can check out Michael Dillon's other films that he's created or go to the website pilotfield.com and uh, check out his whole portfolio. Thanks again for joining us, and don't forget to download all the other Flagstaff Mountain Film Fest episodes. Now, let's start the show. We're here with Michael Dillon and Joe McConaughey from uh, the film String Bean that's playing uh, at the Flagstaff Mountain Film Fest this year, our 18th year. And so welcome both of you guys to the first ever podcast for this Flagstaff Mountain Film Fest. Heck yeah. Thank you, Nick. Nice. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Yeah, this um, this is the second one I've done. So um, I got a little bit of nerves out yesterday with this kind of thing. I don't know why I have <laughs> nerves. I was a former teacher talking to people all the time. And I do podcasts anyway, but uh, for some <laughs> reason, this is a uh, filmmakers. It's cool to me because my first my first degree in college, I didn't go through with it, but was film. And so um, I'm really stoked to be doing this. Awesome. So, well, um, Bill's right. is definitely the film creative, and I'm just here along for the ride. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, you took us along for a ride yourself for this film, <laughs> which and you'll find that, out about. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And so, most of the people listening to this will have already seen the film, and so we don't have to worry about spoilers or anything like that. I just want to dig deeper into into the actual filmmaking and some of the other additional stories. Just go a little bit deeper if people wanted to uh, through this. So, hopefully, you guys can. Take, take me on a journey through that. And, and so we'll just say who's who. So we've got um, Michael Dillon. Is there, I mean, Mike, Michael, Dills, I think everyone, I heard. Yeah, I, I would go with Dills, to be honest. That's what uh, everyone, including my family, calls me. So Dills, Dills is good. Cool. So Dills, you, what was your role in this film? Um, I was the director slash editor, but I only took over as director after Joe had done everything. So yeah. it was mostly directing through editing after the hike was over. Nice. Cool. Yeah. And I'll definitely want to talk about that. Uh, that's what made this one rather unique for you too. Yeah, um, for sure. And then, so Joe, you are, and I'm assuming Joe, unless there's some crazy nickname. Nope. That's good. No. <laughs> uh, Joe, what was your role in this film? So I filmed and I guess was the, the main focus of the doc. Um, and so I was filming while trying to set a speed record. Um, so kind of a, a two part gig while on trail. Yeah, and that's that's crazy, and I definitely will ask you a couple questions about that, about doing the filming and trying to, you know, break an, a ridiculous record at the same time. <laughs> um, the record we're talking about, if you haven't seen the film or if you did see it, let's recall, uh, what is, it's on the Appalachian Trail. Uh, what is an AT or Appalachian Trail through hike? So an AT through hike, it's the most iconic long distance trail in the U.S., it's 2,189 miles. The typical thru-hiker uh, will do that anywhere from four to six months is pretty standard. And I set out uh, trying to break the speed record on that um, in a self-supported fashion, meaning I'm following the typical style of a thru-hiker, carrying my own pack, weight, um, resupplying in trail towns along the way. Yeah, and that's... That's something that I had, I was trying to think as I'm watching the film, what the rules are, or like maybe they're unspoken rules or ethics of an unsupported go at that. So what are some of the main things that people might get hung up on and accidentally, or maybe try to sneak in there to, that you would say was not unsupported? We could go down a long, uh, a long rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So the reason Dills is a uh, late acting director is because we made an executive decision that he shouldn't actually come on trail and film me. So, you know, we a few different times, like 
dude, it would just be so cool. Maybe we could set it up so it was very clear that you didn't actually interact with me or film yourself the whole time. But at the end of the day, we decided, you know what, if this is going to be a legit attempt, um, we don't want any lack of clarity and we want to be as clear as possible. The uh, governing body for Fastest Known Times is just a pro board website. So it's called fastestknowntimes.com. And they go through, make you go through a few different parts of a verification process with film, with documentation, with uh, sort of witness testimony and with a GPX, GPX tracker, um, GPS tracker, I mean. So they really are the ones who vet and verify that kind of thing. And as you can imagine, with everyone who exists on the internet and the people who go after these crazy, long, ridiculous records um, in the mountains, there have been a few issues of people attempting a self-supported attempt uh, that either were a little cloudy of if it was self-supported or not and a few cases where it was very clear that someone had cheated so we did not want to uh to tarnish to tarnish the attempt in any kind of way um, <laughs> so that's, that's one part of it <laughs> yeah even so much that's crazy that, that that's even in the back of your mind that even him being on the side of the trail and filming you could be support is that because of like emotional support or just the fact that someone is there filming you means that they could have like snuck you a gel or something like that. Yeah. Don't ask my wife the same question because she gets hung up on it as well. Um, I told her <laughs> she couldn't come out and visit me. I was like, don't worry. I I'm going to say no to my wife, but yes to Dills. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would be. <laughs> so uh, that had happened on the PCT where someone's significant other came out and a lot of people, you know, cried foul that he snuck bars that he gave her like his emotional support in fact support um which is a weird rule sort of or i guess standard you put on because you could say argue the same thing about a phone call right like that's offering emotional support yeah so it's a really gray line really quickly um and also as a through hiker you rely on um any trail resupply or goodwill on the trail so generally it's accepted that if you're hiking and someone gives you a snack bar, you can take that snack bar, assuming it's not intentional aid or help. So um, if you're out there and there's someone waiting for you and they're giving you, you know, a cliff bar uh, and they're saying, go, Joe, keep it up, then that's against the rules. Whereas if you, you know, stumble across someone who has a little extra food in their pack and, you know, they're offering it to any through hiker who's passing through, that's uh, technically all good and groovy for anyone doing a record attempt like this. Yeah, there is so much gray area though. And I feel like, so our our decision for making the film was like, I'm just gonna be as removed as possible until after the fact. So I really kind of just said goodbye to Joe like a week before he left for the trail. And as much as anyone was just following along, seeing where he was, um, what kind of progress he was making. And then it wasn't until after he was done hiking that we got back in touch and met up and started to go through footage together and kind of figure out what we had for a film. Oh, so so you weren't even there for when he summited uh, Katahdin then? No, I wasn't there for that oh, wow. date. Um, Joe had a few people who were there, but I forget where I was when you summited Katahdin, Joe. Yeah, I just remember when I was summiting, it was this kind of crazy prolonged thing because I was expecting to finish two days earlier. And then the last, I don't know, week and a half, two weeks, I just lost time and lost time, got injured. And so... Uh, yeah, I know you weren't there at, at the top Dells, but we, uh, it was like Katie and my friend Josh who did, who like filmed the actual finish where we got that footage at the very end. And, um, it was this super anticlimactic finish. Like the story you don't see in the documentary is upon summiting. It looks pretty awful out. It was under, uh, 30 degrees in August. It was first raining and then hailing and the winds were ranging between 30 and 60 miles an hour. And you're on this exposed summit at Katahdin at the Northern part of the AT. And we summited, I summited about six o'clock. They almost park rangers almost didn't let me summit because it was so late. They typically wouldn't allow a through hiker to do, but they were like, you're just within the time cut off, cut off, go summit. So I did. And then we had to do all this, uh, like soft bouldering and fighting through all these elements going back down. So I didn't even get back to camp until about like, 10, 11 o'clock at night and everyone was oh. so tired that they just went to bed. And so I 
cooked and ate about 10 s'mores uh, with a little bit of company, and then everyone just crashed. So it was probably the least anticlimactic finish I can ask for, um, <laughs> other than the very peak experience. You know, they'd, I was slow, so they had waited at the top. That group that was at the top that you see at the end of the film, they were there for, I think, two to four hours uh, in those exposed elements waiting for me and were quite miserable. Yeah, so I had it. I had it really easy on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that ending. Um, I want to talk about what Dills, what you did with that ending um, here later on, because it, it kind of like jarred me a little bit in in a good way. Um, but you guys, you guys are not. You guys didn't meet up just for this project. You've done projects before, and it seems like you guys have known each other for a while. How did you meet? What's you guys' story? We uh, we met in college. We both went to Boston College, and uh, my roommate was on the track team. A guy named Jordan Ham. And so through him, I got to know Joe, who was also on the track team. And we kind of knew each other peripherally in college, I would say. Um, you know, knew who each other were, definitely. And was a year was ahead cooler of Joe, than I was because so he was a year older. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't want to <laughs> hang out with Joe when we were in school. <laughs> but uh, a year after graduating, um, I was online and I saw, you know, a tweet that said Joe McConaughey... Uh, is thinking about going after the Pacific Crest Trail speed speed uh, speed record, and I remember thinking like, oh, good for him, like, wish him the best, but didn't think I'd be a part of it. But then our mutual friend Jordan um, signed on to be his coach, and it wasn't until Jordan signed on to be his coach that I was like, oh man, like this could be serious. And I reached out to them at that point and was like, guys, I would love to travel with you, make a documentary, um, and just like film this whole process, still having no idea. If Joe could pull it off. Sorry, Joe. It's very um, fair. <laughs> I don't even know if you knew you could pull it off at that point. <laughs> and so I think it was really through our the first time we made a documentary together, which was 2014. Um, I was part of Joe's support crew, so kind of got to know each other really well on that trip um, and started working together both also like um, in a more creative aspect, working on films. And we had done one other film between that initial documentary, which was called the run for Colin and this one. Um, but these have been, those were kind of the two, the two biggest projects we worked on. I don't know if I left anything out, Joe. No, other than, I guess we shared too many memories to ever forget on the PCT. It's sort of like one of the, I don't know, we really should, should just probably do that again, if I'm being honest, but that's a future conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. But, uh, no, it was just an awesome crew. And, it was, you know, I was fresh out of college. We had this incredible trip and that really cemented our, our friendship and Dills is, we really stuck together as a team, that crew, you know, here, even what is it? Six years later of different creative projects or weddings or whatever, um, that we've stayed in touch with and kind of lean into each other on, um, which has just been a really awesome support network. Yeah. But then Joe decided he didn't want a support crew for this hike. So <laughs> <laughs> he left us all out. <laughs> I'll have to dry a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, it made a, a, a unique film though, uh, by leaving you guys out to dry. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. And, and so that was all on Joe's camera. Um, almost all, except for that last shot. Like you said, I think, uh, his name was Josh. That, yep, that got Josh. the last, uh, last little bit of you summiting there, but everything else I think was, was your camera, including, was that your, your mom at the, at the beginning? That was my mom. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> That was awesome. I that started the film off so I, I think it was great because <laughs> she's filming, but she thinks like it stopped or something like that, and then she hands it to you, and you're like, "No, mom, it's totally fine. You did great." And and then you turn it towards her, and she like freezes and like <laughs> she's like, ah, "You're filming me." I, it was so cute. I I love that beginning. It just kind of started it lighthearted. Um, but well, did uh, you like just her, the, the line? Good luck, sweetie. Good luck, sweetie. Like, haunted me for 45 days or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's adorable. Yeah, they, she treated it like it was just such not a big deal. Oh, really? Well, just, I mean, just the way she said goodbye. Like, I know if that was me out there, my mom would oh. be freaking out. Yeah. But yeah, Marianne was just sort of like, all right, see you, Joe. Good luck, yeah. sweetie. Have Good fun. Luck. Here's Talk to you later. Giant, huge endeavor you're about to go on. It's totally. <laughs> yeah, I guess nope. the second one, it's a little easier to say goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. But. So it was Pacific Crest and then this one? Exactly. What? So the Pacific Crest Trail in 2014, which we made the Run for Colin documentary, which is also on YouTube. And then Dills referenced uh, also another doc on YouTube called Why Not? And then, uh, which is about the, uh, 
100K and 50 miler within a week of each other on the West Coast, and we had an awesome road trip. Um, and then this race, uh, race adventure, I guess, um, which is string bean on the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. And you've mentioned twice this run for Colin, and I definitely suggest people throw that on a, on a watch list on, on YouTube and, and pick a time. It's about half an hour or so. Um, super touching, um, great story. Uh, good job on that too, guys, Thank um, you. on all of the films. Um, uh, but yeah, that, that run for Colin is, is really, really special. Thank um, you. so, um, and then, so going back to the footage, what did, what did Joe hand you Dills? Like what, what did he <laughs> hand over to you? Oh man. <laughs> uh, it was just, it was, well, first off, he had been offloading the footage as best he could, but it was really unorganized, I got to say. Um, so it was just folders full of random Go GoPro clips, <laughs> uh, a lot of duplicates. So like I'd be scrolling through thinking I was going chronologically and then I'd jump back like a week earlier to the same clip as I was scrubbing through. It was just, it was hours and hours of footage. Um, a lot of it was really great. I actually think Joe did a fantastic job with it. But there's a lot of footage in there where it's Joe just sort of talking to the camera for 10 minutes. There's like mud and sweat on the lens, <laughs> so you can't see him. He's like, it's really windy, so you can't hear it. So there's there's a lot of footage that right away kind of got ruled out just because the elements had kind of made it unusable. Um, but yeah, it was it was hours of footage of just Joe in every situation you could imagine, um, treating wounds on the inside of his thigh going for, you know, a dip in whatever random body of water he found. Um, and just his, just his thoughts day in and day out, uh, kind of narrating his experience on the trail. So, yeah, I mean, he handed me the footage in 2017, and this documentary didn't come out until the beginning of 2019. And oh. so I think it kind of just, I mean, and I wasn't editing it straight through that whole time period, but um, there was an initial attempt to kind of create a story out of it. And I think it was just sort of overwhelming trying to figure out what to do with all the footage that we then took like a, a short break before coming back and revisiting it. Cause it was, it was a lot and it was pretty all over the place if I have to say. Yeah. I, I feel sorry for you in that sense, but I was, I'm really glad that that was the answer that you weren't just like, Oh, he handed me just a couple things. It was perfect. Everything yeah, was great. Cause was, I was imagining it was just 10 minutes of footage. Yeah, yeah. That's what the documentary is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was imagining some, what that could have been that, that he sent over to you. Yeah, um, He worked some major magic and it also didn't help him out that I knew that he'd watch every single second that I have recorded. And so <laughs> I took a few seconds to try to mess with him. Yeah, most. So, I mean, one of the things that Joe did that was great is he would set the camera up and then run backwards so that he could get a shot of himself running past the camera which then always meant he had to come back and retrieve the camera afterwards. And usually whenever he came back to get the camera, he'd like leave me a little message. Um, not, not a sweet no, message. Not it was usually, <laughs> yeah. It was like, which I think is, you know, it was good to know that his spirits were still in that place where he could be, you know, true talking yeah. to me like that. If it got too sentimental, I would have been, I would have been nervous for him. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's awesome. So it just comes back and like, oops, accidental up the short shot there for you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Just a little bit of everything. And I talk about that. Um, I think I started kind of figuring that out in my head when I was watching some of these survival shows that they would be off, like going up the side of this mountain. And I'm like, wait, they're by themselves. They have to come back and get that camera. And so that was something I wanted to talk to you, Joe, about also is the, can you speak to the balance between going for a record and also knowing that, you know, oh, this could be a great shot for the film? How did you struggle with that balance or did you struggle? I definitely, I, don't, I wouldn't say I struggled. I would say I sort of like thought to myself as of it as like a time expense. It's like, okay, I'm going to expense like, you know, 15 minutes today, like having fun, taking cool shots that might get used at some point that I know I'll want to have regardless of if they're in a documentary or not. Mm. And that 15 minutes I could use towards hiking, but like I'm using this as sort of a mental break um, to give myself sort of a creative lens. But I think actually I'd be really curious. I mean, obviously I don't know the actual impact on, on my running, but it honestly was very refreshing. And I'm sure in a lot of ways, mentally refreshing to step out and see things from a different angle where, you know, you get out of your head of being this super athlete going after this big record 
that, you know, as much as you try not to have an ego, you're always going to have a little bit of an ego with and say, oh man, like screw the record. I'm going to like, this looks like a sweet, like, like a outcrop of rocks. I'm going to see if I can get a cool. And then I'd spend like two minutes trying to like balance a GoPro on a rock just right. And then sometimes I'm sure Dills could tell you like. I've got a lot of footage of him trying to set up the GoPro. <laughs> Hitting, hitting record a little early <laughs> and probably somewhere i'm like not even in the actual frame where it's like it put it on a rock and it tilts up and it doesn't even record anything so um it was just kind of this fun game that i got to play with myself during the actual attempt which when you have you know 17 hours on trail like active hours every single day it's a good way to break up some of the uh some of the time um in addition to a few you know you just get a lot of time to yourself really at the end of the day and you do some weird stuff <laughs> yep for sure and i know definitely about the being in the editing cave so dills when when you got all that footage i don't necessarily want like a whole workflow kind of thing but when you sat down with that footage um what were some of the things and you actually kind of answered my question about you needing to take a break because i was going to ask you if there was any point where you were looking at all this and you just thought this might not work out um, because it was so crazy about just having his footage. Yeah, I think the uh, the biggest struggle for me um, on this one is that when, you know, Joe set out to do something that was, you know, incredibly difficult, but he kind of went through it pretty steadily. There wasn't really a natural arc um, from my perspective as a filmmaker where it's like, you know, a clear point where he was struggling or a clear low moment, which could become sort of the conflict or the drama within the film to base everything else around. Um, actually, I mean, the physically the worst part, Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, for Joe came about five or six days into the trip, which for me is far too early in the film to kind of lay all that drama in. So, yeah, I mean, when I was going through the footage, the first thing I was trying to do is, you know, just go through everything and figure out what was usable, what wasn't, um, cut that down to about two or three hours of material that I personally really liked. Um, and then just kind of had to figure out, or, you know, what's the story actually going to be and got stuck on that part of the editing process for a little while because um, I was trying to go mostly off of just what Joe had recorded um, on his GoPro. So things he had recorded talking to the camera. Um, and so it wasn't until taking that sort of short break and talking with Joe about it that we decided to do sort of a sit down interview where I spent a couple hours with him just asking him questions about the trip and then editing that sort of gave us a bit more of a structure for how the rest of the footage was going to kind of lay on top of it. Um, and sort of that's where things kind of started to gain some traction. Yeah. Yeah. That getting that script together can sometimes form that foundation. And I was going to ask that if the narration was was scripted or, or how scripted was it? Um, it didn't sound scripted uh, when when listening to it, but I know that that can really help sometimes. Yeah. I mean, we just sat down for, I think it was two hours, um, at Joe's apartment in Boston and just, I just, you know, hit him with all the questions I had. Um, you know, I had certain points that I knew I wanted him to touch on cause we had talked about his trip so much already that I knew sort of what, you know, his story was. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was really unscripted in terms of the conversation we had. Um, and it was, it, you know, we sort of built that through the edit and there, I mean, there's still, you know, tons of great material that didn't even make it into that, to the final piece. Um, but maybe some of those stories will come up here. You know, who knows? And Dills yeah. is fascinating at that. Like we, cause we did that a lot for why not? We did the same thing for run for Colin. And I actually tried administering like an interview to someone I know really well recently. And it was just like within like 30 seconds, I had already ruined the whole interview because the person I was interviewing was just like, I'm just, I just can't do like, this isn't the right. And I was like, man, there's a lot of like, I'm now that I'm on the other side of the camera, it's not quite as easy as just like go talk. <laughs> And, and so like Dills does a really good job with asking leading questions and then allowing me to kind of feed on my own storyline um, without, you know, being too intentional or too blunt that makes it seem, you know, canned or scripted, at least in my opinion, which I really appreciate. Yeah, that's a that's a huge skill to have um, as a filmmaker, especially documentary, to be able to pull that story uncanned out of someone. I mm -hmm. definitely respect that. That's awesome. And that was only two hours uh, of talking. You got all that good stuff out of two hours. Yeah. I think, I, I don't think it was much more than that. I'm pretty oh. sure I was being hurried out of the apartment by the time I left. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. We had an interview and we did it in our, in my, in my bedroom and my wife, 
I kind of felt like after a little while, I was like, man, we've been here for a long time. And it's kind of like gotten, I, I kind of get the vibe that we should, we should abort pretty soon. And we should wrap this up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could have gone for another two hours easy, but at that point, I think we, we knew what we were looking for and what we had. So yeah. Nice. Right, I'm going to rewind. I heard it said a little bit just a second ago, and there's a scene in the film where something's going on where there's a water bottle going to the crotch. What What is happening? And, and some squirming and screaming there. What What's going on, Joe? What was happening right there? <laughs> if you remember. <laughs> no, I definitely remember. That was day two. Um, so I had started off with terrible, terrible chafing. And... I got hit by a thunderstorm on day two, like a, a real bad one, just a classic Southern U.S. dump. And I was running and I had my poncho tarp. So my actual, my rain cover over my bivy sack, which is what I slept in, my rain cover was actually doubled as a poncho tarp. So I'd wear that in the rain. So I was wearing this and I was running and I was 25 miles into my day. I started lighter and built my, ramped up my mileage. So at day two, I'm like, I'm going to try to go, you know, 40 to 45 miles today. That'll be a success, even though I'm ultimately trying to average 50, uh, 50 per day. So I'm there at like mile 25 and like my thighs are on fire and I'm wearing this poncho tarp and there's no one else out on the trail. And I'm like, no one's going to notice if I just like take off my shorts underneath my poncho tarp and just keep running. Just your shorts? So I took my, yeah, so I had my poncho tarp <laughs> and I took my, so I was basically like wearing a garbage bag, pantsless, running through the Appalachian Mountains in Georgia. And I made it through the entire day, which yeah. worked for a while. Like it felt no better great place to for do about that. five miles. <laughs> yeah, it felt great for five miles. And then it felt awful for a good 10. And I, at that point, I couldn't go back to wearing shorts. So I was just in a lot of pain and I knew I had to clean the area which it was all like inner thigh chafing and i also was like i know dills would find this probably hilarious <laughs> at the very least it's a hilarious footage to have but i don't know if it would ever actually make it into the doc so that it was one it. of the that was one of the things that i was like i'm gonna record this and it'll probably never be seen by anyone sure oh enough. yeah it is now <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for leaving that in dills that was hilarious oh of that course was good. it was so quick too it's kind of like it <laughs> happened you're like whoa what the heck just happened there <laughs> like was yeah. it because it was so cold or like no so it was chafing he really <laughs> yells too in the clip yeah. i think it's sort of i think it's muted a little bit because his voiceover is going over it but the first time i heard it it's a really long clip that's very quiet for a long time. And then he, you know, goes to clean the area and he sort of yells and it startled me. Um, and I, you know, had to watch back immediately. I think I knew right away that that was something we were going to use. Yeah. Probably startled some wildlife out there too with that screen. Probably. Yeah, definitely. Oh nice. Um, yeah. What, what, uh, <laughs> now I have to refocus myself after, after that one. Crotch um, chafing gotcha, Nick. It did. It did. <laughs> Um, I love the, <laughs> I love the little spots in that it's kind of in the same section. Um, there's one where you're, you're struggling. It looks like you're struggling to get into a lake, um, to kind of hop in. And I think I, I love jumping in cold water. I don't know if that was cold water or not. I mean, it was the middle of the summer, but hitting that reset button. Um, was that something you did often on the trail was find some water and just kind of jump in? I did more so on the beginning of the trip than later in the trip. I, would jump in at the very beginning. I was like, I was like on vacation. I was having a blast. I was talking to everybody. I was super excited. I had a ton of energy. And as it went on, I substituted any kind of, I think I took a total of like seven baths, you can call them. Um, and that was in a lake in Tennessee, if I remember correctly. Um, and which it was not, it was a little cold. But I was honestly kind of a baby about it, if I'm being totally honest. Um, <laughs> and But just like, it was one of those serene moments on the trail where it just kind of everything slowed down. You had this awesome sunset. Um, it's a very wide lake. Most lakes you come across in the eastern U.S. are not that big. Um, so it was kind of a unique uh, land feature. And it did just allow me to reset and kind of appreciate that moment for a second. Um, but those baths changed to hiker, what are affectionately known as hiker showers, where you essentially take your right hand, get a little bit of water, and then use that right hand for any sections that need to be cleaned. So um, <laughs> that sort of changed over the course of the trip. 
Nice. Going back to the water on the crotch. Good. Yep. <laughs> I guess there's a theme of this podcast, so sorry about yeah. that. <laughs> no, it's great. <laughs> um, all right. So I, I'd like to talk a little bit about kind of the, the end. Um, I don't know if there's any other great little stories. Oh, you know what? Um, you started in, in July. Is that when you started in Georgia? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So starting in July in Georgia, was that something you you guys researched about like when the best time to start was, or would you change that at all? I, well, I mean, you obviously killed it, so I don't know if you'd change it. <laughs> it worked one way or another. <laughs> it, it worked. worked. <laughs> I, the only regret I really have, um, from the, from a timing perspective is I would have, uh, rather probably gotten a little bit earlier just to maximize daylight hours. Like when you get to the end, you wouldn't believe how much of a difference running in, well, you might believe, I guess this is one of those things that I guess is pretty straightforward. Running in the night sucks and makes you a lot slower. And when daylight hours change by, you know, an hour and a half between end of August and beginning of June. And so when I was starting, I had all this daylight and I'd finish and it was still daylight out. And when I was finishing, you know, I'd put in a 15 hour day, 17 hour day, and I'd be setting up in the dark. I'd, I'd want to push for a few extra miles. And, um, there was one time there was the third to last day before I was trying to finish. And I was like, I entered the hundred mile wilderness, which is one of the most epic parts of Maine. Um, at that point, you're a little over a hundred miles from finishing. And I'm like, I'm going to squeeze every last moment out of, you know, between the hours of 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. to finish the day. And about two minutes later, I tripped on a route, hit my hip, and then was hobbling and found the next clearest opening in the in the grass and then promptly laid down my camp and went to bed. <laughs> so <laughs> that loss of daylight really affected affects your ability to, uh, to cover long distances of ground. Yeah, that's a great point, too, because you're going south to north, and as you go north, you're going to lose that daylight. Um, exactly. That's something yep. I never would have thought of before yeah. and running in, in the dark. Yeah. You've got that headlamp and you're looking down at that one beam of light. It tires you out. It just seems to exhaust you so much more. Yeah. You just feel the thing that's weird is you just go so much less distance than you anticipate. Like, and I did this, especially on the Pacific crest trail where, um, Dills can probably recount a few times when I was very stressed out running through the night. There was one particular time where my headlamp died, Um, but, um, going on in the AT, you know, you're going and you look at your watch every five minutes and you think you've been going an hour and you've literally checked it five minutes later. Um, so you just feel like you're covering all this ground because you're just aware of every single rock that you come across. Um, but you also are just going a lot slower without even realizing it. So it's really demoralizing. Yeah. And talking about like the lighting and everything just to kind of, I don't know flip gears here uh dills uh, being the the editor and director and receiving this footage um what went into if anything what went into the the lighting with a gopro and like you said there'd be like elements and mud and probably fog i mean the east coast is you know not known for beautiful sunshine 300 plus days a year oh yeah um so what kind of things did you run into working with that post-production i actually um i've really enjoyed any time Joe would find himself in a situation that was, you know, particularly cloudy or dark or different because there were plenty of shots um, of him going through trees when it's sunny and bright out, which, you know, from a technical side of things on a GoPro doesn't necessarily look great. You know, it's a lot of harsh shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of moving, de- you know, it's a lot of moving tree trunks that's, you know, kind of <laughs> lose, you know, lose a little bit of detail in the footage. So, um, and when we decided to make it a short film, you know, to go for about that 10, 15 minute mark, something that I was really focused on was trying to make the visuals as varied as possible, um, trying to give the viewer as much of, um, you know, the total experience as we could in as short amount of time as we could. So I wasn't upset with Joe not having a lot of footage in bright sunlight. You know, actually, I think most of the shots we have, it's either early morning, you know, or the sun's going down. There's a couple shots in there where he's running through rain and mud um i mean i think we we realized early on that there's only so much you could do with the gopro at that point and especially that was a gopro 5 which joe and i have laughed about like right after that one the gopro suddenly had great stabilization so you can like walk with it and it looks really smooth but that one was really shaky um 
so we knew we weren't going to have super high quality footage. So we kind of leaned into the, you know, the outdoor at like aspects of it, you know, let it be a little rough, not worry about the lighting so much, not worry about technically how beautiful things are. And I think once that became the focus, the footage actually started to look a lot better um, because you kind of, I think, got a sense of what the real elements Joe was going through were. Um, so that's how I approached it. Um, and I think when I, th- when I think about the film, you know, one of the earliest shots is, you know, a silhouette of him running. And I, I just think of how blue that sky is. And then I think of a later film where he's hiking with that tarp on. And I think about how kind of yellowish, you know, the field around him is and how kind of muddy the scene is. And I just think all the colors really contrast with each other well from scene to scene. And I think it kind of gives you a sense of you're really going through the trail with him. You know, you're seeing all the sights that you would see going from Georgia to Maine. Um, so that was, that was the approach that nice. we took. Yeah. Not just the, the beautiful shots, but actually putting them in the scene. And I think the shaky footage can go with that as well. Um, For sure. Putting you in the scene. So nice job, Joe, on getting all those varied, uh, you know, shots. I'm sure you're oh, yeah, that the Very whole time. well done, Joe. <laughs> Thank you. Well, well I, you guys, it, oops, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think it's more of a, a magic trick of Dill's actually putting it together, but we can uh, disagree okay. there. <laughs> <laughs> there was some absolute garbage that I know I said. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be. There's got to be. Just like you felt, you know, good on some days and probably like garbage on other days. And That's the true. Footage is That's gonna true. Follow. Yeah, the footage reflects that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Were you guys in communication? You talked about not being there, but you talked about, you said something about, a f- about phone calls. Was that a thing? Did you guys talk um, during part of this? Joe and I didn't talk during the yeah, trial. Oh, okay. We did. Yeah. Okay. Good deal. Um, and so yeah, would, would you, was that because you were considering that support? No, well, I, I think mean, it you was had a job to do. I understand if you were just like, yeah, go, go, go. I only really reserve phone calls for my wife just because they, another technical difficulty, which we haven't talked about is charging electronics. Um, mm-hmm. and the, I'd say probably the biggest thing that slowed me down funnily enough is charging my GoPro. Um, almost everything else I had would charge within, you know, 30 uh, charges enough within 30 minutes to an hour. Whereas the GoPro battery would take a bit longer than that typically. Um, and it would also die really fast. Um, if it was in really cold temperatures, it would affect it. So the GoPro battery was a little finicky. And one of the, my biggest regrets of this entire thing is that my GoPro died. Do you remember what day it was that it died? Dells? It's like five days out. Yeah. I don't remember what day specifically. Yeah, so it died like four days out, and there was drama at the finish, um, and I felt like I had a lot to say, but because uh, it just was a little crazy at the end. But none of that was captured on film because uh, so when you talk about the film, I'm like curious to hear what your thoughts, Nick, on the ending because honestly, Dills was basically working without any resources other than like a two-minute iPhone video at the top of Katahdin. Um, for the actual finish. So um, the technical difficulties and charging the GoPro made it really honestly hard to uh, A, to actually have that GoPro footage and then B, to really communicate or have any kind of outside input or thought process into what I was doing because, you know, I made if I made a 15-minute call on my iPhone, it would drain, you know, one-tenth, one-fifteenth, one uh, eighth of the battery. And if I did that twice in a day, then that just means more time in town, more time spent uh, recharging it. Yeah. Makes total sense. And you were charging, um, solar at all, or were you picking up battery packs on your way? No, I would legitimately go into a town, find a, uh, outlet, plug it in, (laughs) go run to a, uh, resupply. So either a, like a hotel, or a post office, pick up a box, empty all my garbage out, um, re, like repackage my entire bag, go run over to my phone and my GoPro, see what the charge was, and then probably buy food at a restaurant, wait another 30 minutes, and then head out, which usually ended up being like an hour to two and a half hours, um, depending on what my most immediate priority was. Yeah, gotcha. So making yeah efficient use of the time. That's that's good. That's what, where was the weirdest place you plugged in at? <laughs> oh my God. That's a good question. Um, really, I just, so the, the term hiker trash is affectionately used for AT hikers. And I guess my biggest, 
like hiker trash moment for something like that that I can remember was outside this uh, it was outside of a it's, it's called Diane's Twist in ah oh, it's Chesterfield Mass or was it just Chester in Massachusetts anyway small town of Massachusetts and at Diane's Twist I got two overstuffed meatball sub uh, sandwiches and an extra large sundae and on the you know how like on the outside of buildings they'll usually have like the fire uh, or not the fire the um, hose and then next to that they'll have the big thing that's like definitely feels like it's someone's property so I lifted that up and plugged into like a uh, basically on the side of this random field into somebody's electrical outlet and then I went over about 30 feet to a picnic table where I literally dumped about five pounds worth of trash and 15 <laughs> to 20 pounds worth of resupply supplies on two different picnic tables. And I threw all my gear out on the ground. So I essentially was just having like a, uh, a garage sale out on the middle of this random person's uh, lawn in, I think it's Chester, <laughs> Massachusetts. I'm butchering that, but that's, uh, that's was my experience. And then I ended up getting the uh, great time, great like turnaround. I got in and out, but I ended up getting the meat sweats from eating, too many meatball subs and um, and an over and a and a uh, ice cream sundae from them. Nice. <laughs> cool, but no one no one chased you off with a shotgun, right? No one chased me off with a shotgun. No. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about um, wondering how the end of that film, uh, what at least what I thought about it. Uh, so you turned it around on me. You are a good interviewer, right there. <laughs> um, I thought I remembered. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought I remembered. There was a bit of film with maybe it was before four days out, but you had a hundred miles left to go. It was a dark kind of sunset scene. Um, and it's been a couple of days since I watched it, but I thought that that was the last footage we saw before the end. And so, however, Dills did it, it, it ended up flowing into the last scene that iPhone footage, which, which didn't to me right off the bat seem like you know, oh, this is on an iPhone or anything like that. It seemed, seemed all it, right. It looks so good compared to some of that GoPro footage. It, <laughs> it looks so clean. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I'll, when when you're hiking up in the fog, up Katahdin, and the narration is going, you talk, and again, this is like not spoiler because I'm imagining people are watching this afterwards. Um, but if you are, then spoiler alert to the end here. Uh you are talking about how it's been a goal of yours to to hike the Appalachian Trail, to mm-hmm. do the through hike, and you are so happy to have completed it. There was nothing in that narration that said I was so happy to get the record, or I was so happy that I, you know, got my goal. And so I had a moment right there in that footage of you walking up to the summit and and hugging your your wife of like. Oh man, he didn't do it. And it wasn't until it cut black and the words came up that you finally realized that you did it. And I definitely wanted to ask Dills, was that, or maybe both of you had something to do with this. Was that on purpose? A a little bit. Um, When we were recording the interview, I didn't specifically ask Joe to, to not be specific about whether or not he did it. But I know a big challenge for this was how do you create that sort of moment where it sinks in for someone watching that like, He's, he's done it. He's beaten the record. You know, we don't have a clock running in the lower corner showing how much time is left or anything like that. Um, and I think we had the experience of when we did Run for Colin, we didn't try to hide that he, he got the record. We just showed the footage. And then afterwards, we cut to a black screen and we kind of put the numbers up. And the numbers were like, Joe hiked it in this many days, setting a new record. And we got to watch that film with an audience um, a number of times. And there was always a reaction when the numbers came up. And I remember that that was a great way for it to kind of sink in for people, like how significant the achievement was and that he had gotten it. And so I think um, it shows the time that he did it. And then it's separate line comes up that says he beat the record by this amount of time. And so that was intentional for as far as like, how can we as clearly as possible show that Joe hiked this incredible time and also set a record? Um, And yeah. And then so some of that is like, how do you wrap up his narration without him sort of spoiling it. And at that point, you know, Joe and I had talked a lot about, I think just, you know, Joe, from what I took away from our conversations that Joe was just really grateful for the experience he had had, um, you know, separate of the record, you know, setting out with the goal of hiking it in a certain way and achieving that goal of, 
you know, set they going into it with such a, a plan, you know, I'm going to pick up food from these stops and I'm going to hike with this gear. Um, and having all of that work out to the point where that goal at the end of the day of setting the record almost wasn't as significant anymore. But the fact that he did it was, you know, still great. So, yeah, I mean, Joe did have some clips from the last, you know, 100 miles. Your GoPro wasn't dead then. I saw the writing on the wall that my GoPro was going to die. I don't remember percentage, but and I think because of the cold, there was a little juice left in it. And so I got a few uh, few extra like bonus point shots uh, just from like seeing if it would work or not, um, which is great that it didn't end up corrupting the footage because I've had that happen since where that's oh, ended man. up corrupting footage. And that would have been absolutely tragic. Yeah. So, I mean, so for the first 12 minutes of that documentary, we're pulling from hours and hours worth of footage just to get those 12 minutes. And then the last two minutes are pretty much exactly what Joe had shot because he was really only shooting the very essential at the end of the hike. So, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of clips, like the last two clips, I think, before we get to it might even just be one clip before we get to that iPhone shot. I mean, watching it in the editing process, I was like, this is useless. Like, it's a shot of really just nothing. But at that point, like it was the only material we had. So it's in there because like we needed to show as much as we could in that last stretch, um, which ended up actually working out great for editing because it, you know, removed a lot of the decision making process. And I had a pretty good pump up speech, if I don't say so myself. Yeah, the speech was good. Yeah, the speech was good. So as we kind of wrap up here, it's uh, getting close to the to the time here. What um, what are oh, man need a part two. So many other questions. But, um <laughs> I wanted to know like what, if, if Meltzer and Jurek had anything to, you know, any reactions, um, to you, if you contact them, but, um, what are, are there any updates since 27? Cause that happened in 2017. Is there anything else that's happened on the FKT? Uh, yeah. So there's been a, uh, particularly thorn in my side, Belgian dentist who has since come in and broken the supported record. So, oh. uh, we talked at the beginning of this interview about doing it self-supported, meaning I didn't have a support crew. I did it in the typical through hiker style and I ended up beating, um, both, uh, Meltzer and Jurek's time. Um, I ended up beating Jurek's by about 10 hours. Um, Carol since came in and crushed my records with the support crew. He's the same Belgian dentist who also broke my PCT, uh, record. So I have a bone to pick mm. with him, but specifically a dentist. That's funny. You, you, a, yeah. you make sure and put that in there. <laughs> He's a great dentist. dude, honestly. I like him a lot, but I am, I'm going to be forever upset at him, um, for, for coming in after me. Yeah. But self-supported what's, do you know the closest time on the, on the Appalachian trail for self-supported? So get this. I had a, uh, I was in Vermont. I had probably 400, 500 miles left to go. And this guy comes running down this. It's like a gray, dark, classic Vermont day, like a lot really overcast. And this guy comes running down the other way, looking like fresh, clean, sparkly, sprinting down. And he goes, string bean. And I'm like, hey, man. And a lot of people know me. Uh, and especially at that point, people started to know that I was going after the record. It wasn't really until the latter half of it that I really got any kind of trail encounters like this, but he's like string bean, dude, you're crushing it. Huge fan. Like love what you're doing. You're the man. Like so great to meet you. So great to see you. And I'm like thinking in the back of my mind, I clearly know this guy. Like he wouldn't like, he knows who I am. He acts like we are friends with each other and have talked. And I'm just like, thanks man. Using whatever kind of blank statement about the word dude or man, whatever that I could use. And I'm like, so how are you doing? What are you doing? And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going southbound, making great time, you know, trying to go after the record, too. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, what? This guy's like must be two weeks in. And and I try to, like, get all the dates out of him and info that I can without acting like too suspicious or anything. And he's just the nicest guy. And I found out that this guy named Joey Camps and he's done the Pacific Crest Trail, Appalachian Trail. Something always goes wrong. He gets injured. He makes it super far and then something absolutely crazy happens to him where he has to get off the trail. And he, in my opinion, is the kind of most authentic, long distance, F, like self-supported FKT type of person, maybe other than Heather Anderson. Um, but he's all he's never actually set anything because he something happens, he gets injured. And he ended up coming within, I want to say, a day, two and a half days or something of what I 
ended up getting. But the whole mm-hmm. time on the PCT I, or on the Appalachian Trail, I had no idea who this guy was. And I had finished and I broke the record and was like, how dumb is it going to be when someone breaks my record in two weeks? Um, <laughs> which I was just waiting to hear news on. But I didn't even know who it was at the time who I'd bumped into. So I you know, only found this information out weeks after as kind of more information came out on his attempt. Hmm. So he's the second closest person to do it self-supported. Gotcha. Jo- Joey Camps? Joey or? Campanelli. Joey Cam- Campanelli. Hey. Yep. <laughs> Good East Coast name there. <laughs> Nice. Well, thank you guys for sharing, digging a little bit deeper into the film. This is a great conversation, and I think it's it's a really unique and cool thing to what you guys have done with footage out in the field, on the run, and then handing it over to Dills and what you were able to do with just random GoPro footage to create a story. And you, you guys definitely created a, a fun time. And showing here in Flagstaff, which is definitely a runner city, uh, people are going to, if they haven't you know, already gotten a hold of your other films, they're going to see this and then hopefully um, go check out the other ones because they're, um, they're awesome. They're great. And uh, yeah, Dills and, and you both had a little bit more um, production you know, going into those because of, of being able to actually be there. <laughs> Um, so yeah, any, uh, any final things you guys want to plug any, any adventures coming up or, or any projects? Joe Dills, you don't have anything on your radar. Um, well, in terms of, in terms of, uh, running goals, not probably not. Yeah. I have some, I have some big projects lined up this summer, um, which Dills and I are, I'm trying to nail Dills down again. Yeah. We've been meaning to talk about these, but yeah, you're now bringing up an awkward point that I've been trying to nail Dills down for weeks now um, about <laughs> potential new documentaries and adventures. But um, I'm probably I'm going to go after a few big fun FKTs this summer, um, nice. starting around mid-June, which I'll be posting about on Instagram, which is the string.bean, uh, and trying to come up with a creative production out of that. But that is still TBD. Um, but either way, it's going to be... Yeah, there's a conversation we need to have. We clearly need to have one, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to be the catalyst for that conversation <laughs> yeah. here. Thanks, Nate. So you said uh, Instagram string.bean? Yep. All right, so go ahead and jump over and follow that so you can see these uh, elusive and yet, I'm sure, pretty crazy adventures that are <laughs> soon to be. And then, Dills, uh, what about you? Where can people find your, your uh, filming shenanigans? Or uh, other shenanigans. Yeah, all shenanigans, which is mostly filming shenanigans. Um, pilotfield.com. So Pilotfield is the production company that I run. Um, and it's what's produced both the run for Colin and String Bean with Joe. Uh, I've got a couple other films up on the site right now and um, got a plan for some new ones coming up this year. So that'd be the place to go. Nice. Awesome. Thanks again, guys. Uh, I'll let you get back at it. And thank you for taking the time. This was this was an awesome conversation, definitely for me personally, but I'm sure for everyone uh, watching the Film Fest as well. Awesome. Thank yeah. you, Nick. Thanks, Nick. All right. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening in and digging a bit deeper into the film with us. For more information, simply go to the show notes for a couple of links on the filmmakers and the films. If you enjoyed this, please take about 30 seconds to subscribe and rate the podcast so that we know y'all are digging it. I'm Nick Irvin, you're you, and this has been the 2020 Flagstaff Mountain Film Festival Podcast. Cheers and see you next episode.